false teachers and their teaching. Tonight we'll be in Romans again. Working through the glorious logic of redemption is the topic tonight. There'll be study notes for everybody. Believers baptism in the service tonight. Wednesday night, back with uh, all the activities, the mere Christianity of C.S. Lewis in the South Sanctuary. That's just been uh, just so good. This morning, false teachers and their teaching. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Let me read the text to you. But false prophets also arose among the people. When he says, when he says, um, arose among the people, he's talking about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and false prophets. Just as there will be false teachers among you. Now he's talking about those to whom he wrote and the church age. There were false teachers before under the Old Covenant. There are false teachers now. There will always be. Who will, so he shows now that this includes the future tense, secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So you won't always see that in this life. Many will follow their sensuality. This is not sexuality. He's not dealing with orgies in the church. I'm going to explain that in a minute. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth, the way of truth will be blasphemed, something that's going to happen to the attitude toward revealed truth. I'll talk about that. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And this is interesting. Their condemnation from long ago, this has been going on for a long time, and you might think that it's idle, but it's not idle, their condemnation. Their destruction is not asleep. So in other words, it, there's false teachers all over the place, false teaching all over the place, and it doesn't look like it's that big a deal. Nothing immediately happens. Nothing urgent is happening. When revelation, divine revelation is belittled, nothing urgent happens. You don't see anything happen. But, it, but don't, don't think. Don't think that there won't be consequence. God will judge both false teachers and those who follow false teachers. So what he's saying is this matters. This is an issue of destruction. Let's pray. Pray, Lord, that as we look into your word, none of us will have the tendency to tame this text, to domesticate it. I pray that the words of this text, your Holy Spirit will just sovereignly run wild and free through all of our minds. Take our thoughts, tie them up, and make them follow our master, Jesus Christ. Bless your word to our hearts. There are different ways that are appropriate to respond to your word. When we read texts, as Pastor Chris read, 
There's words of joy that make our hearts sing. There are also warnings. The warnings aren't supposed to make our hearts sing. The warnings are supposed to make our heart tremble if your Holy Spirit is working in our minds and hearts. And so let there always be the right emotional response, the response that's fitting to the nature of the text. So bless your church around your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's no way of missing, I even mentioned it as I prayed, the, the sudden change of tone when you get to this second chapter, though the chapter divisions, of course, weren't in the original text, but for our purposes. The change of tone when you get to this second chapter, without any doubt, it's, it's one of the sternest collection of thoughts and warnings in, in all the scriptures. If we weren't working our way right through this book, nobody's going to choose a text like this for a Sunday morning sermon. This doesn't make you dance in the aisles. That's one of the primary benefits of studying a whole book in sequence. Not many churches do that anymore. You, you don't get to choose the topics that the pastor likes. You have to look at the subjects the text serves up. The subjects are laid out for you in advance. And if you're going to be thorough and honest, you have to take to heart all the warnings of the Holy Spirit in this text. It's about false teachers and their teaching. The church doesn't talk much about false teaching anymore, which is strange. You see that New Testament you have? Yours is probably on a, on a computer in some form. But if you had a Bible, you get to the end of, you get to the, end of uh, the book of Acts and the rest of it. Every epistle, every letter in your New Testament is written to correct false teaching. Did you know that? If it weren't for correcting false teaching, you wouldn't have a New Testament. Outside of the Gospels and Acts, every letter is written because of something people believe that isn't true and isn't right, or some practice that's getting off base. And so it's significant to me that the, the New Covenant documents that the church works with, there is no bigger theme than false teaching, and yet the church doesn't talk very much about it. Something's askew there. The last three verses of the first chapter are the link to the warning verses in the second. That's where Peter said, we have something more sure. He says, to which you do well to pay attention. As to... A lamp shining in a dark place. What, what makes this place dark? It's talking about the, the, the surrounding culture, the environment in which you live, work, move, are educated. What makes, what makes that culture a dark place isn't that everybody's killing everybody. What makes it a dark place is darkness is the word Peter uses to describe the very best thoughts concepts, values, and ideas of the present culture without the acceptance of divine revelation. 
That's what darkness is. The very best that the world has to offer minus divine revelation equals darkness. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. 20, knowing this first of all. This is what you have to know first. That no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Think about what Peter's going to talk about in the next chapter with false teachers. The opening text that I read. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. You don't get to mess with it. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the foundation of of what we do here. We have no business being here if we don't know that what this book says is true. Everything you know about Jesus. We sing all these praise choruses to Jesus. They're beautiful songs. But everything you know about Jesus comes from this book. Who was he? Why did he come? Did he really die on the cross? Why? Did he rise from the dead? How do you know? What do we know about the future? Is he coming again? Where did you get that idea? Well, first of all, you, you better be sure about this, right? We have God's sure revelation. The scriptures aren't just the thoughts and ideas of people. God has spoken. God has revealed. So we don't choose or modify the content. Our lives are to be anchored in the scriptures. Okay, so that's how chapter 1 ends. Into chapter 2, Peter warns of this great danger. Not everyone teaches scriptural truth. Not all teachers and preachers and leaders and Bible study leaders and home group leaders, not all of them, Speak the mind of Father God. He, he makes his point absolutely clear. 2-1. There will be false teachers among you. There's no doubt in Peter's mind. There will be. There's no if. It's a will. Not sure. I'm not sure the church expects false teachers to be active or even present. Um, perhaps in the Old Testament, Pastor Don. There were false prophets and false teachers, but we've been given the Holy Spirit. False teachers wouldn't have a chance in in today's church. I would never be taken in by false teaching. In fact, the whole issue of false teachers in the church, it raises some tricky questions. Um, Why? Why would God allow false teachers in his church? He's sovereign. Doesn't he care about his flock? Why would Peter have to warn this New Testament congregation? He's an apostle for Pete's sake. Peter, Pete's sake, get it? Why would he have to warn this New Testament congregation about false teachers that were certainly going to come? Let me give you what I think is the best answer to that why question. Why would God allow false teachers in the church? Because I think the Bible gives you an answer to that. It really does. It's found in a dusty old passage that you may or may not know. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. And the Lord says through the prophet, 13.1. 
if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder. Look at this. And the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. Okay. Miracle. This prophet. Raising the dead. Miracles of healing. Making the sun turn black. It comes to pass. Just the way this guy says. And if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Note, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That's fascinating. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him, keep his commandments, obey his voice. You shall serve him. You shall hold fast. When it says hold fast, I always, I always think of like a tug of war. There's something pulling on the other end. You have to really hold on to God. You have to really hold on to truth. The only thing harder than discovering the truth is Keeping the truth. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God. Brought you out of the, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And redeemed you out of the house of slavery. To make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. You shall purge this evil from your midst. The important words are that. Verse 3, the third verse. You shall not listen to the words of the prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So God tests people through false teachers. Here's how it works. The words of the false teacher in Deuteronomy, and it continues... The words of false teachers seem to have uh, power. We're being told that the message works. There's results to the message. Successful results. Their predictions come true. The signs and wonders follow. Or or, or the, the, the blessings that they've talked about seem to unfold and flower in the lives of their hearers. There's great testimonies of deliverance and the good things that have happened in their lives. They have peace of mind. Their marriage was saved. There's tranquility. They have a sense of wholeness and purpose and joy. They're happier than they've ever been. They quit drinking. They quit smoking. They're losing weight. This is wonderful. It works. Why would God let that happen? People are in awe. The text says God makes sure they have a powerful, successful message. Did you notice that? God's testing. 
The text says God makes sure their words come true. So they gather quite a following around themselves. People like what they hear. They like what they see. But there's a problem. These leaders begin to depart from the word of the Lord. They don't deny the existence of God. They don't say Jesus isn't God's son. They don't say he didn't rise from the dead. But they modify the moral dimensions of God's revelation. We'll see why they do that in just a minute. Back in the days when Deuteronomy was, those words were spoken, there was no Bible like you and I have. There were the Ten Commandments. People did know that God had spoken. We read it in the text that Chris wrote about made the mountain smoke. That's not just poetry. The writer is thinking back to that time when God gave the commandments on the mountain. Do you remember? And smoke and thunder. That's what he's writing about. It's not some mystic poem that he's putting together. And these teachers who were saying such wonderful things and performing such amazing things suddenly started to make allowances for things contrary to the commandments of God. In other words, there is, God ensures, there's just enough power to meet the felt needs of the people with accurate predictions, perhaps about rain and blessing and crops and success and military victories. But what they were saying, while on the surface level was very satisfying, wasn't filling the minds with the truth about God and his word. So, so here comes, pay attention here. Here comes the test. Deuteronomy. Would these people listen to these leaders and have their desires met or would the people refuse to be compromised and remain true to the content of God's moral law? Which way would they go? God says, I want to I see. Now, to be sure, Deuteronomy does not teach, and I'm not saying that God brings these false teachers among the people, but I believe the text does teach that in his sovereignty, God uses situations like this. And so God says, I, I still have a plan for all these false teachers among you. They will be successful. And I want to find out whether you will follow whatever seems new and wonderful and powerful or whether you will remain rooted in my revealed word. God tests the hearts of people by what they listen to. God tests the hearts of people by what they listen to, what they respond to. And that whole issue is very alive today. Like it or not, I said before, every letter in the New Testament warns the church about false teaching. In other words, every apostle, as he writes, assumes that his teaching is not going to be the last teaching that church hears. Other ideas will come. Other teachings will come. We worry about a lack of blessing. God worries about a lack of truth. Big difference there. course you don't have to choose between those two things but we do have to be careful let's look at what peter says about false teachers in the church point number one 
Peter says false teachers arise in the church in such a gradual and subtle way that they aren't even noticed by the careless. I get that in chapter 2, verse 1. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Peter says, don't think this is just an Old Testament thing that I'm talking about. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Obviously, you don't invite these people into your church. You know, you won't see it on the website. False teachers, this Sunday. Peter says they, are, they arise, they arise from within the church itself. Not this church, but the church, the church of Jesus Christ. He says they, they gain a platform secretly among people who will listen. And Peter says churches should expect false teachers will arise. He, he warns the churches to be looking out for them. He's not being paranoid, he's not being morbid, but he doesn't want these Christians taken by surprise. He doesn't want them just to assume that everything they are going to hear in this pulpit is going to automatically be the truth. If I can't show it to you from God's word, you have no business listening to me. It amazes me how many people don't even think in terms of teaching being true and false. They think more in terms of whether it works or not. It's terrible terrible it's much more common for people to measure truth by how it makes them feel or how comfortable they are with it or whether it meets their needs truth and error don't don't seem to be the dominant factor in people's minds how many times have you been to a bible study when some sincere but misinformed leader will say something like this, what do these verses mean to you? Which is a terrible question. The only question a leader should ask is, what do these verses mean? That's precisely why Peter writes these words. False teaching can meet all sorts of needs. It can pack great power. It can attract large crowds. False teaching can be accompanied by miracles. It can soothe hearts and minds. It can have great appeal. But for all of that, it will still be false teaching if not rooted in God's word. So here's Peter. He's an old man. He's ready to leave this world. What's he going to say in his final appeal to this group of churches? After talking about the gospel and the sure word, he says, but there's, I, I need to tell you, before I'm off the scene, there's a threat coming to your soul. There will be false teachers among you. They don't advertise themselves. They seem compassionate. They seem godly. That's why I'm alerting you in advance. It, it, is, it is dangerous and it is wrong for you to feel there could never be false teaching in Cedarview Community Church. I wish that were true. I hope the pastors and leaders all try their best to make sure it is so. But it should never be assumed. Point number two. 
Peter cautions against the horrible human tendency to measure the truthfulness of a message by the number of people who listen to it. It's in chapter 2, verse 2. You see that word right there? Many will follow their sensuality. Because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Just the first part for now. The obvious, the obvious point of application in that verse comes from that word many. Many will follow. So this is such a common temptation for all of us that it's no wonder Peter warns in advance against it. People like to know where the crowd is going. Have you ever noticed that? We, we do it in polls. Politicians do it all the time. I've always wondered, what, what, what do I possibly gain by coming up to an election? Whatever party you vote for, what do I possibly gain by someone saying, you know, the liberals are X and the PCs are X and the NDP is X and the Green Party is X? If I know who I'm voting for, what do I care? Do, do people honestly think that if I see more people think this way that I'm supposed to think that way? We, we love being part of the, we love to know where's everybody going because they must be right, right? The crowd must be right. People always follow a crowd. You can see it in the way we do polls, the way we do surveys. We all long to be where most people are on a subject. But what might not be quite so obvious in this verse is the reason so many people follow these false teachers. Many follow their, there's that word, their sensuality. I said I was going to talk about it. It seems out of place in a word about teaching, doesn't it? Does Peter mean these teachers are holding orgies in the church basement? No, I don't think so at all. Here's what I think it means. I came across an interesting comment in a commentary written on this verse, get this, in 1658 by a man named Alexander Nisbet. Here's what he wrote on this idea about many will follow their sensuality. He says this, it is not strange to see the most dangerous heretics have many followers. Every error being a close friend to some fallen desire. That's brilliant. So understand, when Peter talks about many following their sensuality, he's not thinking about craven sexuality. He, he, means, he means these false teachers... Then and now, they appeal to something in their listeners. False teachers seek out motivations. The message is, to use Peter's term, one of sensuality in that it appeals to some, some inward desire. The desire for prosperity. I don't even have to talk about that, do I? False teaching based on the idea of prosperity. The desire for health. The desire for peace of mind. These are all good desires. The desire for acceptance. The desire to be liked by my peers. The desire to not appear intolerant or judgmental. They, false teachers tap into those desires. Paul describes the very same process. The very same process in 2 Timothy 4.3. 
just for the, the time is coming. So Paul and Peter wrote about a reality that took place then, but here's what Paul sees. Paul sees this isn't going to get better. This is going to get worse. Christians aren't going to have to think about this less. They're going to have to start thinking about it more. That's, that's what Paul is saying. Your, your kids are going to have to think about it more than you, and your grandkids are going to have a huge battle. That's what he's saying. This isn't going to get better. The time is coming when, look at this, people will not, isn't that an interesting word, endure sound teaching. So false teaching, do you see how false teaching works? It finds an inner desire and plates it up. Sound teaching, you have to endure. Well, because most people aren't going to agree with you, for one thing. It's more work. It separates you from the crowd. There's a cost to it. Always has been. I'm amazed. Uh, people, th- people hear different things from Scripture, and they think, well, gee, if I, if I think like that, I'm just going to... People aren't even going to like me. And, and you have to say to them, is this a new concept to you? Like, have you read the Apostle Paul where he, where he says to the, he talks about his, his ministry in Galatia, and he says to the people who question his apostolic authority, he says, I can prove to you I'm preaching the truth. And they say, how? And he says, because everybody hates what I'm saying. If I wasn't preaching the gospel, I could be loved by everybody. From the very beginning, it was the offense of the cross. They killed Jesus and all of the apostles. When you signed up, what did you think you were signing up for? People will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for for themselves. Teachers to to suit their own passions. To suit their own passions. Does that sound like what Peter said? It's exactly the same thing. So the message fits with the dominant state of mind. False teaching. It fits. It fits like a tailored suit fits the person wearing it. To suit their own passions. Notice, sound doctrine is linked with that word Endure. You have to endure sound doctrine because it never does line up with either our own personal tastes or the values of the surrounding culture. So there's a call for endurance. Sound doctrine confronts fallen desires. Sound doctrine confronts the values of a fallen culture. It doesn't stroke. In another place, Paul says... Sound doctrine, sound teaching, it rebukes, it corrects, it instructs. Well, people, people don't flock to that. Then notice Paul says there's another kind of teacher. There's a teacher who teaches according to the desires of the people. They scratch where the people itch. Doesn't it feel great to... once in a while in bed we're reading and I go, Reenie, it's right there. Just scratch right there. You ever have a person hit just the exact right spot when they're scratching out? Does anything feel better than that in the whole world? 
No wonder Paul picks that. This is what these teachers do. Where's your itch? I, I got something you're going to love. No wonder Paul says people don't have to endure those teachers. He says they accumulate those ones. One more truth in, in, in these verses. Point number three. As people tamper with the truth and as false teaching gains any hearing in the church, people will lose their appetite for the truth of God's word. I get that in the second verse. 2 Peter 2.2 2. Many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. It's hard to give those words enough weight. They're, they're striking. But notice there's a, there's a downward cycle of error. As more and more people just begin to give an ear to error, and as they find the message more and more to their liking, as things that are off base get taken with increasing seriousness, here's what happens. People actually begin to devalue, to marginalize things they once valued as true. They begin to devalue it. God, of course, doesn't change. I, I'm getting to the point where pick any social issue you want. I'm not even going to name them. There's so many. I'm getting to the place when people start talking to me and arguing that, you know, our view has got to be changed, it's got to be modified because it's not accepting, it's not loving, it's not tolerant, it's not on and on. I always ask one question. I only ask one question now. I ask it about five times a week. And the question I ask is this. Does our creator, God, still have the right to be morally offended by things that no longer offend me. Don't you think that's a fair question? Because our, let's face it, our values change, right? There's flux all over the place. God is constant. Does God have the right to be morally offended at things that no longer offend me? And if you answer yes... then immediately you see the danger of false teaching where, where our values slide and change and morph. The way of truth will be blasphemed. This is the sure work of the enemy. It's not, it's not just that these people, these people in the church don't hunger for the truth as much anymore. They, they, begin, to, they begin to deny it. They begin to relativize it. They question it. And then other people watch. They too, because... We live in this body, and they see other people's beliefs morph. They hear the things they say. They hear the way they question what's written in God's Word. Other people notice, and they go, well, boy, so-and-so's a bright Christian. Pastor Ron's bright. He's starting to question this. M maybe I should. And so they, too, begin to question the foundation of faith. Surely so many people starting to think like this then my old beliefs, they must be hopelessly outdated. Perhaps I'm, I'm, I'm just too narrow-minded. Why would these intelligent people follow this other teaching? 
the value of truth just gets cut at the roots. Interest in truth, church, is not something you can just turn on and off. A love for truth has grown over time as you learn the truth, study the truth, commit to the truth, endure with the truth, obey the truth. Give your heart even briefly to the fashionable sparkle of error and you lose bit by bit both your appetite for the truth and your discernment of the truth. The way of truth gets maligned or blasphemed. Four. Most false teaching has its roots in greed and offers a message that appeals to self. I get that in chapter 2, verse 3. Are you still with me? Okay. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. The greed referred to probably isn't just greed for money. That's what we think of. It's the love of acceptance. It's the love of not offending. It's the love of not standing out. It's the love of not having to endure the cost of commitment to revealed truth. As always, the kind of teaching that has the most appeal is the kind that offers rather than requires. Most false teaching majors on benefits to be had rather than on commitments to be made. Well, what about that, Pastor Don? Isn't the Christian message one of grace? Isn't it all about what God has given in his son, what God has done for us rather than what we do for him? Absolutely it is. And Peter wouldn't deny that for all the world. The real issue isn't whether or not ours is a gospel of grace. It is. The real issue is, what, what is that grace like? How is that grace received? And what does that grace do in my life when it's received? It doesn't just bring forgiveness. Grace comes like electricity comes. It turns the lights on. It makes things happen. It's an interesting Is an interesting definition, an arresting verse in Jude. It deals with the same issue Peter was addressing. Jude 4. Look at this. For certain people have crept in unnoticed. Do you see a common theme here? Who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God. Do you see this word again? Same word into sensuality. And the very same thing, deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Note carefully the use of those authority words. Master and Lord. So, so our commitment to revealed truth isn't an optional commitment. It's not an elective in the walk of discipleship. Master, Lord. But those words... Jude 4, they, they're, they're just so much like our caution from Peter. Teachers came in secretly, denying the Lord Jesus Christ. How were they denying Jesus? Were they saying Jesus wasn't the Son of God? I don't think they were. were they, weren't they preaching grace? Yeah, they were preaching grace. But not the grace of the New Testament. They were preaching grace in such a way that they were actually denying 
their Lord and Master. Well, how do you preach grace and deny Jesus? How does that work? I thought he was all about grace. How do you preach grace and yet deny Jesus Christ? Well, Jude says, as Peter, Jude says they turn grace into sensuality. If you have an old King James, there's some great words in there. The old King James actually uses the word licentiousness instead of sensuality. We don't use the word licentiousness much anymore. You use another word like it, license. We still talk about giving a person license to do something. Well, I know he shouldn't have done that, but there were unusual circumstances, so I'll just grant him license in that case. So Jude says, you actually deny Jesus Christ when you treat grace as a license to skirt around revealed truth. That's what was at the root of the message of these false teachers in 2 Peter 2. The message was rooted in, it says, personal greed. It was geared to exploit people, just granting them their inner wishes. The cross was taken out of the message. The cost of following Jesus was ignored. Obedience was shouted down probably as being legalistic. You've heard it a million times. It's not true. And here's why all of this matters so much. All of these warnings need to be heeded, but, but perhaps even more importantly, all these warnings need to be heeded with the right spirit, with the right understanding. The warnings are serious, but the warnings are not given without a promise of life and joy attached to them. All warnings are in the Scriptures. There's a reason Peter says what he says, even in these hard-sounding verses. Now I am closing honest. Here's the reason. Read this out loud with me, would you? And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Hear the heart of Father God. Stay close to biblical truth because God wants to use it to light up your life. He wants to use it to renew your mind. He wants to shine his life and power into your earthly days. He wants your daily living fueled. We looked at it with divine promises. But even God can't do that apart from the truth. So beware of false teachers. Beware of how they work. Keep your life anchored in God's word. You can't help but be safe there. You won't be popular. I didn't say popular. You can't help but be safe. And you can't help but be fruitful. And everyone said...